welcome to another episode of Arena Talks. Today we will talk about Lord of the Rings and my guest today is Jeroen Bakker. As you maybe know, this is the second episode of the Lord of the Rings. In the first episode, my guest was Jordan van der Meer and this podcast was called Arena Talks Fantasy and Sci-Fi. Since then, this podcast has been through some changes. The Lord of the Rings is a series of three epic fantasy adventures films directed by Peter Jackson and based on a novel written by J.R.R. Tolkien. And of course, I also talk about the books. Set in the fictional world of Middle-earth, the film and books follows the Hobbit Frodo Baggins as he and the Fellowship of Embarks on a quest to destroy the One Ring. To ensure the destruction of its maker, the Dark Lord Sauron. The Fellowship eventually splits up and Frodo continues the quest with his loyal companion Sam and treacherous Gollum. Meanwhile, Aragorn, here in exile to the throne of Gondor, along with Legolas, Gimli, Boromir, Merry, Pippin and the wizard Gandalf, Unite to save the free people of Middle-earth from the forces of Sauron and really them in the War of the Rings to aid Frodo by distracting Sauron's extraction and tensions. I'm also going to tell you guys about a little bit about my opinion about the um, new series of The Lord of the Rings on Amazon. Well, everyone, let me introduce you to Jeroen. Hello, Jeroen. Hi. How are you doing today? Well, I'm fine, thank you. How are you today? I'm fine, and thank you for joining me. Um, we're going to go to t- we're going to talk about uh, Lord of the Rings, and so, uh, what is your connection with the Lord of the Rings and Tolkien? Well, it started when I was uh, a child. My parents got a box with various books from a fr- couple of friends of theirs. And in them was uh, the Dutch translation of the Lord of the Rings, known as In the Bond van de Ring, um, which had an intriguing picture by Cor Block on the front. It's the, uh, the Prisma book for the ones who know it. And, well, the picture intrigued me, so I pulled that out of the, the box and started reading. And that's how I got hooked on the Lord of the Rings. Okay, nice. And did you read the books first or did you see the movie first? No, I read the book first. Uh, this was in the mid-90s, I think. And what I did actually was when I got stuck with the books, I started reading, uh, viewing the uh, uh, Ralph Baski cartoon. Mm, okay. But that's what helped me get through the first, uh, uh, the first and the second book. Mm. Okay. And of course the, the Baski movie is not complete, so through the rest I had to pull myself through. Is there anything... What does it attract you that much about Lord of the Rings? Well, in essence, it's the separation between good and evil. And um, now you have the, uh, the ones that are fighting for the good of the world and those that uh, try to make uh, their evil uh, land on, on the world and force it in there. Uh, how do you say, in their image, actually. And th- that is what appeals to me most in, in any kind of story. It's the, the good versus the evil. But what I loved about uh, Lord of the Rings is that it has so much in-depth information. I hadn't heard about The Hobbit or The Silmarillion or any of the other books at the time, and I was fascinated by the lore, by how uh, it connects with an ancient past, and that was what gave it uh, shape to me. Well, I remember when 
first read The Lord of the Rings, uh, it took me a little while to really get into the story. How was that for you? Well, it took me a while too, especially the first few chapters. The, um, when I read it in Dutch, I was still at school and uh, my teacher who teaches Dutch uh, said to me, well, perhaps it will help if you just skip the first 50 pages or so. And then when you get the pace, you can either return to it or read it when you're finished. So and that's how I uh, actually did it. Okay, yeah. Uh, that was, by the way, not only for me, for Lord of the Rings, but like for The Hobbit as well. It, it took me half the book to actually into, because it is so detailed. Tokyo yes, it is relatively detailed. And uh, especially with The Hobbit, it's first from uh, a narrator's perspective. And then that perspective changes in the second half of the book, which uh, makes it, at least for, for me, um, more accessible to read. If you would advise a young person to read The Lord of the Rings, is there something uh, you would tell them that they have to take a look on? Or just like, uh, we both have that experience, okay, it's take you will be taking you a, lo a little longer to get into the story because it is that much detailed and then one way i think that's good because if you see when peter jackson made the uh, movies he could a lot of uh when something was wrong or something he didn't uh, know to how go further on they he always get back to the box and he could read in the box for oh that's how it looks like oh that's how it went. Uh, yes, indeed. But there is a, a difference between writing a book, I, I'm a writer myself, and making a movie. Because you yeah. can't do one-on-one -on -one, uh, making a movie out of a book. That, that simply doesn't work for the entertainment value or the experience of watching that movie, the dramatization. Um, when you're reading the books, you actually have several choices. First off, you can watch the movies and then read the books, which will make it easier and will give you a few surprises if you read the books. Um, the alternative is, as I said before, just skip the first 50 or so pages and start reading from there. And once uh, the Hobbit starts traveling, that's the point that you can actually draw yourself into the adventure. Um, or you can just... Uh, wait yourself to do it so to speak so you can read the book from start to finish and accept that it will take a little longer to get into the story than you're used to perhaps with other stories what really helped for me was to make notes and i don't mean writing the book open but i'm terrible with names so what i did was i made a list of all the names that i came across and wrote in a few lines who they were so that even after I put the book away for, for a couple of days, I could still be, oh, that's this person and that's that person, and uh, pull myself back into the story. That really helped me. So before we start this uh, recording, you were talking about uh, some kind of a vision translation of The Lord of the Rings, because um, let me tell you guys... Uh, Jeroen and I are both from the Netherlands, but I live in the UK right now. But um, so Frisian is like a um, different kind of language, Dutch language. And it's like, I don't want to say old language, but it is also, it's a traditional, uh, traditional it's an ancient language. Yeah. yeah. So talk about that. Well, the, uh, first of all, Frisia uh, or Friesland is uh, a part of the Netherlands. It's a province, actually, but used to be a kingdom with its own, uh, within its own right, and have a Frisian culture and a language of its own. That language is linked to several languages, including English and uh, the Scandinavian languages and some German. 
and I believe in Germany there is still a province called Ostfriesland. If I'm correct, I'm not entirely sure, but there should be something like that. And due to uh, the link between English and Frisian, I started to wonder uh, in the early uh, years of the millennium about what would a Frisian translation be like from a talking perspective. I think personally he would have liked the Frisian translation. He actually mentions the Frisians in one of his uh, uh, other works. And um, so I started looking for people who would be able to translate such uh, a work and eventually found Onacek uh, Opgema, who was already in the process of translating The Hobbit into Frisian. And we worked uh, together, not on the translation, that is what he did himself. But I was kind of able to uh, pull some strings to get the rights on the translation so it could actually be published. That, is, that must be quite interesting to read in Frisian as well. Uh, yes, indeed. And, uh, well, my Frisian is not that good because the, uh, the whip of the tongue, so to speak, is uh, very different from Dutch or English. Um, but if you'd like, I could give it a try and read the ring poem in Frisian. Blimey ghost! Go for it! And I will have to get the book just a second. I might also mention that... Uh, there is also a translation of the Lord of the Rings in Frisian, translated by uh, Juwe Westra. And he wrote uh, uh, the poem I'm about to, or translated the poem I'm about to. I can find it. In ring allegar ten herste, in haar kinde, in ring die het haar in het zuster vier in aller dienden. Draaie ringen voor de elfenkening in het jaar. Dan voor de dwergenherren onder spinnen kroon. Jokken voor minstgeben. Boon on her da. In is voor de tjuster op zijn kroon. Hier in Mordor landsdouw zonder dagra. In ring allegaar de heerste. In haar kinder. In ring die het haar in het juister viert in alle binder, vier in moorden, landstouw zonder dagen aan. Ja, I recognize some words, but not all of it. It's, it's really hard, is it? Yeah. Yeah. There is a, a, a Christian saying that says, green cheese is good English and good freeze. Yeah, so let me explain, guys. There is a, just a small percentage of Dutch people who actually uh, speak Frisian. So, but it is a historical language. Yeah. That it has been translated to Frisian is special as well. Yes, it is. And perhaps comparable to... Uh, uh, South African translation in comparison with with language because in South Africa the majority of the people speak English uh, but there are still those who speak uh, uh, the the Dutch related African language yeah I think um, as a writer uh, have you ever read a book and just did as a writer instead of a fan or just a reader? I think there is no, no difference for me when I read a book. And you simply read the book and then have your uh, opinions about it. And some of those opinions are based on my personally reading the book and enjoying it. And some of my opinions are based on like, uh, oh, that's a nice way to use language or uh, things like that. And I think a majority of uh, talking readers uh, do mind the way uh, or do like the way language is used by talking and how that affects 
the world uh, he is describing. Yeah, because we know, of course, Tolkien uh, is one of the professors who also invented languages. And um, so tell me, how did you came in interested in reading Tolkien and what did uh, it did to you? That's a rather complicated question. Um, well, as I said before, I uh, was first introduced to Tolkien as a, a, a secondary school uh, going kid. And um, I wasn't a writer back then, although I did write some, some things, but I wasn't particularly interested in language at the time. So that was, uh, uh, that was not an issue for me when I started reading it. It was just the way I think uh, the text dragged me the, uh, the display of images that uh, talking creates in your mind when you read it. But also the gaps he leaves, like you can fill in the blanks a bit. And I really enjoyed that because that gave me, well, I wouldn't say inspiration. That's, that's a bit too much. That's like I would write something inspired by it, but that's not true. But kept me interested. Answers your question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, is there anything of uh, Tolkien which you absolutely like? Is uh, Lord of the Rings also your favorite book of Tolkien, or? Um, well, it, it's the first. So the Lord of the Rings is it's the first, and it will always have special place uh, because of that. But I'm actually very fond of the creation chapter in the Silmarillion. Uh, I'm uh, a very great lover of music, all kinds of music. And the fact that he created his creation myth is based on music that was so, well, I'm going to say it again, inspiring to me. That that really was that I, the connection that I was waiting for. When I first read that, I read that chapter three times before I moved on to the second. Because what I always experience is that the Fellowship of the Ring part is just like going on a journey, happy-go-lucky, uh, a lot of colors. And we also see that in the movies, of course. But if you are reading, for example, the part of the Two Towers and the Return of the King, it's very dark. Yeah, so it's a very, I don't want to say especially dark um, book, but I mean also like um, it's very heavy to read in a way. And of course, yeah. you are um, in with the Fellowship of the Rings. It is totally, and that's what I mentioned, it, it's, it took me a while to actually get into the story because it was so detailed and your mind is working so hard to get all the details in your head and to imagine and I think that's why a lot of people say okay I'm not going to read the books it's too much for me I will watch the movies the yeah, when you watch the movies you also get a lot of detail especially in the fellowship that that comes your way and to process that is also, um, I think, the same experience, just without the reading, just watch them, like you're on the journey with them. Mm. And I think that that also changes for the Two Towers and Return of the King, as you see the, the movies also take a grimmer tone. Yeah. Uh, not only in storytelling, but also in uh, filters used. It's much more grim. Yeah, and uh, we just talked about um, filming a book is sometimes very hard because uh, you can't put some of the things uh, in movie. And we saw that with the two towers, and I remember because I have the uh, extended editions of Lord of the Rings, and in one of the documentaries behind the scenes, they told that... The two towers in the movie was different after the book because 
what was in the book, they couldn't make that on film. It, w it wouldn't be sense to put that in the movie. Yeah, because when, you, when you're reading the book, you, you first follow uh, the hunters and then you follow Sam and Frodo and then uh, when they eventually split up in, into multiple uh, storylines, you, you follow them. But in a movie, you can't make those switches without annoying your watchers or your viewers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Although, I must say, they did it in a certain extent. And I, I, it was really nice to see that they followed those separate storylines. And I think, um, I don't know what you think about it. Did you, do you think that it would be... It, it, that Tolkien did it in a good way in the books, or was it a bad thing to have those separate storylines? Because I remember when I read it for the first time, sometimes that was very confusing because, uh, of course, you knew who the characters are, but sometimes you're forgetting in a way of, okay, what is actually the storyline? Yeah, I can, I can understand that. But what I really experienced was I wanted to know about the story of Frodo and Sam. And when I read uh, The Lord of the Rings, I really moved through the other chapters in, in a way that I could get to the parts where Frodo and Sam are on their journey. So it was kind of a, a, a vehicle to get me through the book and pace up my reading actually instead of um you know um uh, switching back and forth yeah what i really love about uh, the lord of the rings is that the different kind of languages that he invented and especially when there was one thing i really hoped that Peter Jackson would put in his movies, but he didn't do that, and that was about Tom Bombadil. I yeah. really, I love that character, but it is a really pity that uh, he didn't do anything with it. Um, I, I think that that goes for uh, for many readers of the Lord of the Rings. They they'd love to see that character, but from the movie perspective, I can understand it because yeah. you will slow down your progress. So much show without adding to the uh, character of uh, uh, Sam, Frodo, and the others. I think in one way it's better to read the books first because you can read it with your own imagination how characters and places would uh, be instead of watching them. And I had this experience when I uh, watched the Harry Potter movies first and then read the books when I read the books I imagined that um, Daniel Radcliffe for example was Harry Potter do you think there is uh, a big difference between the if you read it first or see the movies first uh, well I only have the experience of reading first and then seeing the movie but what uh, I am autistic, uh, so it's uh, a little bit different for me than perhaps for some others. But I can separate my own images and the movies or artworks by others. So for me, it's not really uh, a problem keeping the, uh, the personal experience separated from what others create. in Lord of the Rings that you could visit what place where what a place would you like to visit oh gosh and I I asked <laughs> this question to my for uh, the first person I first guest I had to uh, with Lord of the Rings so um, yeah yeah I've had the question before and I think what I really would like is uh, that, that's more of my personal imagination. But let's say Middle-earth has 
uh, a kind of library like Alexandria used to have. I'd like to visit such a library in Middle okay. Earth. <laughs> okay. Is there any characters you like in The Lord of the Rings? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I like Sauron, especially um, because he was tempted to become evil. He was not inherently evil in the beginning. He became tempted by by Morgoth. And um, I think that is something uh, to relate to as human beings, that we are constantly under the temptation of doing things uh, defined as evil. And that is something we will have to resist. And Sauron actually embraced the change. And he went in the, the opposite direction of what what I would like. Like Galadriel is actually the opposite of of Sauron in that respect. Mm. Yeah. What I like about uh, about personalities in in Middle Earth and in, in Tolkien's Legendarium in general that they have this personal experience in which they will either embrace their evil destiny or resist it and try to work for the good of, of all actually. We talked about uh, Tom Bombadil before and the the reason he is in the book is or well perhaps that's my personal um, uh, distillation of it but it makes the hobbits grow from children to adults so to speak. When they leave uh, Tom Bombadil, they are adults, so to speak. And there isn't really a way you can put a scene like that into a movie the way it is done in the Tom Bombadil chapter. So I think the reason it was left out of the movie was not just simply it doesn't add to the characters in the movie itself, but that it would be very hard to portray a chapter like that and have believable characters arcs like over the whole of the movie I think that is um, a, a, a point worth noting but those who um, like to hear or see more about Tom Bombadil it might be of interest for you to know that uh, Welsh composer Paul Porfield Godfrey is working on the release of a future release, I might add, of a uh, opera based on the chapter by Tom Bombadil. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. Never thought about Lord of the Rings and opera. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's it may not be your first thought when you think of uh, of music and or drama a dramatization of a, of a work like that in, in opera but yeah there's going to be a, a, a cycle of the whole of the Lord of the Rings and the Tom Bombadil will be included there yeah there that's nice the portrayal of the Silmarillion in operas there are actually four parts released of that Starting with uh, Feanor, then going to Beren and Lúthien, then the Children of Húrin, and the Fall of Gondolin, and it will be sequeled by uh, the War of Ross, uh, uh, relatively soon. Okay. Nice. So, is there anything? You would like to tell us more about what Lord of the Rings for you means, or...? Um, it, it, to me personally, it's uh, a means of escapism. Uh, I've been bullied a lot in school, um, and it was always a nice way to escape into the realms of Tolkien. And that, that really also shaped uh, part of my personality, I like to think, that um, res in, in the way I resist the bullets. You know, uh, 
it's almost biblical in the sense like turn the other cheek yeah i think that is for a lot of people recognizable and now you mentioned that it reminds me also like bastion in uh, the uh, the never ending story yeah. and um but i can relate to that too uh i have my escape realms as well <laughs> <laughs> Mine so, includes uh, the, the Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. I love the Wizard of Oz. So, um, yeah, we talked about a little bit of the villains, of course. Yeah. Like Sauron, that's one of your favorite. Um, is the one of the, and I say, good guys, species, or, and of course, uh, what you really like? Uh, or is it inside? <laughs> there are so many, and that's that's probably why it's so difficult to pick one. But um, I think Sam could really be seen as a, a as a hero. And I think, in the broader perspective of Middle Earth uh, and uh, Tolkien's realm, Galadriel uh, might be uh, worth mentioning. I think I can can relate to both in that sense. Not of course in the grand scheme of things, but in in the personalities more more likely. Are the elves also one of your favorite species in this whole fantasy world and book in that way? Yes, I, I think so, because um Apart from humans, which I assume we all are, uh, elves actually um, are like a mirror. There's something you might strive to be, but you know you will never be fully. And that is what what, what intrigues me at them. You know, you have, they have that, that grand desire to be uh, at peace with the world and that is something I think we humans in the real world should strive for too. With the war in Ukraine or uh, famine in the other parts of the world, it's it's really hard to see, but it's it's even harder to notice that there's very little that you, on a personal level you can do about it. And I think that, that's the experience of the elves. Now there is this world, many things happen, and there is just so much you can do. If you could write a sequel after The Lord of the Rings, is there something you would like to write? And what is something you don't want to write in it? I think I would dive into the uh, uh, the new shadow that Tolkien wrote about. I think I would try and find all there is to know about what he did write about that and then see if I can actually uh, compile something that would make sense within Tolkien's writing. I think one of the things that I would absolutely avoid, but that would be hard, is, is allergy. LRB, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. You know, uh, connections with biblical books and stuff like that. So we know Sam is more or less the uh, main character in the books and the movies but um what do you think of the fact that tolkien wrote him as a hero and that he would say okay i will bring the ring to mordor because in fact halflings were actually not really a species that is accomplished in that much like for example an elf or a human or yeah i think the the message there is that um even something small can make a big difference and i think that's referenced quite a lot before but i think that really is the essence of of the halfling or the hobbits in, in lord of the rings yeah and, and Galadriel said that, that too yeah the, the, the great forces, the great powers, Sauron himself, um, uh, Saruman, they all 
lockdown upon these hobbits and say, oh, they can't be of any interest to us. And then when when the story evolves, they actually their downfall. Yeah, it is because if you think of it, um, the men and the owls and uh, the other species were in one way afraid of the ring and go to this mission, do this mission. But hobbits are small, they can go everywhere. They are in more or less uh, the same height as, uh, I don't want to say the big orcs, but the small orcs, what we see. Mm-hmm. So they can, can blend in. And I think it's very well done and also how it is written because you can actually really imagine uh, how this whole mission is going to go. And I think if you haven't seen the movies and you just begin with the books, like I said, it's so detailed that you can imagine itself how it would be. And in one way, I think maybe Tolkien did that with a purpose to write this in so much detail that you actually can imagine what he means. Yeah, I can relate to that. Um, I think much of his desire for detail comes from his time spent in the war. And I think one of the things he might have picked up, I'm not sure, I wasn't there, is that you know, a little, a little token like someone saying thank you or uh, handing you uh, a slice of bread could mean the world to you at the, in that war. And I, I think that is um, what he tries to portray with all the details. You know, something small can make it real. And didn't Tolkien uh, wrote um lord of the rings also because he could process what he has been through to the war as well um that's I'm what i heard that, but I, I i assume so yes because that was uh one of the uh, documentaries is that they said well uh the whole war thing what you see in uh the in the books and the movies in his story that was based on his experience of the war. Because I think, I thought he went to two, two wars, right? First and second war, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah I think that's true. Yeah. So it's, in one way, um, I think it, it was also like a therapy for him, don't you think? I, I, don't, I don't really know that much about that. But I think, um, you know, the way Saruman is portrayed as building his uh, Urukai army, and that really represents the industrialization of war. I think that really mm. has that emphasis there. Yeah. So the destruction of, of the forest, uh, the, the almost el- alchemy-like uh, invention of the uh, the gunpowder and, and stuff like that. I think that that really was important to how Tolkien perceives modern warfare. You know, I think in this case the hobbits are also uh, like hope for everyone else in Middle-earth. Yes, and... I assume they are, yeah. So they they don't know it themselves and the others don't know it except for those few that are concerned with the fellowship yeah i think it, i think they're only uh gonna know that when Aragorn tells them you little friends bow for no one yeah and including in the book but also in in the movies that was a powerful message Yes, it, it was, and I was actually surprised by uh, how much that affected me watching the movies over and over again, yeah. and that that still is an emotional 
uh, trigger for me. So that means it was very well done. <laughs> yeah, it is. And you know, in one way, it gives me like a example too, and a hope too, because I am small, very small. So uh, and that's just because of uh, medical reasons, but also from uh, I'm half Asian. So uh, that's why I'm small. But I have time, I see that scene, for me it's not only hope, but also some kind of a victory that I know, okay, you are small, but you are in this world, and you have a mouth, maybe they are watching, they look over you and whatever, but you are there, use your abilities to make your point in what abilities you have, and I think that's the same for Sam and uh, Sam and, and Frodo and the Hobbits. Yeah, I, I think that that is uh, very much explained in the, the Council of Elrond when uh, Frodo says, uh, and I paraphrase, you bigger all you want, I'll bring the ring to Mordor. Yeah, and that was also a powerful scene when they were... Um, I don't want to say fighting, but it, it, it was a war. Uh, and there were also, of course, the mankind was saying, or the humans were saying, uh, let's use this against him, but the elves knew that's going to be difficult because it's very influenced, and you have to show be And that's the beautiful part of Frodo. Frodo was so strong to... To resist the temptation. Yeah. Yeah. Resilient, I believe Gandalf calls it in the there in, in the, the scene in uh, Count of Elrond. Yeah, and of course, that's one thing I really need to mention is the Hobbits, Meriadoc and Pippin, those were the comical reliefs. In the movies, definitely, yes. In the, it... in the books, I think they're uh, um not so much a comic relief as a uh, uh, a symbol of um, you know the common people. Mm. So they represent the common people, while Sam and Frodo represent the heroes who stand uh, stand out from from the general crowd. If you could meet one of the characters. In real life, who would it be? Oh gosh! Um, I probably thought <laughs> you would say Sauron. <laughs> I think I might like to have a talk with Elrond, and I would like ah. to ask him why he didn't throw uh, Erendil into the fires of Mount Doom. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, well, I think we are at the end of the episode. Is there something you'd like to add? Not really, except for one thing. Uh, we talked about uh, the sway the ring has over over the people of the Middle Earth. One thing I like to to, to notice that in the, the the movies, the Peter Jackson trilogy, that the moment the ring drops into the snow, and uh, Boromir picks it up. That is really the moment for for movie viewers. Though the scene is not in the book, I think that you actually see the temptation of the ring and what it does to people. Now, I yeah. think that uh, though it's non-canonical, it was really adding to the experience of the movie. Yeah, indeed. I think that's um, for a lot of, if you really, it's that scene was really getting to you because you could feel the power of it and of course you see it through the whole movie and books that uh, what grip it has on people who are having it and uh, that's one of the reasons why Bilbo Baggins were, was that old that's be just because of the ring yeah. and I think in, in that scene with Boromir uh, I think there is one f way to hate him for it? And in one way, you could understand why. Yeah. 
is the, the, the personification of human doubt. And the only, uh, the only one who really resisted was Aragorn. And what I really, yeah, Aragorn is really, I really liked his character because, but he has a very uh, difficult past. Yes, he has a complicated past, yeah. But, okay. Uh, well, we we'll hope, hope to see more of that in the, in the, the Amazon production. Well, Jeroen, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much for this uh, interesting cold talk. Thank you for um, having me. Yeah, well, um, maybe we can talk in another episode in, of about another subject you like. And uh, well, thank you again. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys. Um, I must say that I have watched the Lord of the Rings series from Amazon. And I know that a lot of you guys don't like it. And uh, I had heard a lot of negative things about it. But I must say, me as a fantasy lover, and if you uh, can look through it as just another fantasy story, I liked it. And, but. I think a lot of you guys have that, um, how must I say this, the, you all got that description of things that Tolkien wrote and of course the typical fantasy tropes that anyone knows, I think you guys keep that a little bit too much in your mind. And I can understand where people are coming from. For example, exactly with uh, the elves, that the elves have short hair. And that is not the typical trope we know and use for elves. Um, but I, I must confess, the first time I saw that, it was a little weird. I had to get used to it and... But I watched the series typically from a fantasy lover point of view and not of being, for example, a Tolkien fan or like me as a fantasy writer. It is more like uh, I watched it with uh, just uh, go with the flow and uh, we will see what it brings us. And I must say I really did like the storyline, I really did, because um, it shows you a little bit how it all started, and I, uh, especially the, um, the finale of this season, and they shown everyone who actually is Sauron, I was shocked, because I never thought that this person would be Sauron. And we see there is also a birth of one of the, f I don't want to say first uh, wizards, but because I also was thinking, okay, who is this wizard really? Is this a, for example, a ancestor of Gandalf? Well, I don't know. I, I didn't looked it up really and you know um it's also like you'll learn a lot more of the hobbits the of course again the evil and i must say they really really have casted that numerian uh captain Jeez, now I lost his name. Um, oh yeah, his name is Captain Allendale. And if I remember, he is also... I th uh, he was one of the ancestors of uh, Aragorn. And I must say, they cast him very well. Because if you 
listen to his voice, it is, you could see Aragorn in it, or hear Aragorn in it, and there are a lot of uh, more character, characters that I really liked, and although, uh, like I uh, hear those negative comments of uh, the owl doesn't look like owls and other creatures, but I do think um, if you can uh, watch through it or look through it, I think there it's a it's a great storyline, and I am curious if they are. Uh, going to have a following up season of it, and um, but also it's just although it's a, it's a start of how uh, everything is gonna work. For example, how and why the uh, elves have made or how they got. The, those three rings and I must say the finale ending with just the singing of the words that Galadriel will speak in Lord of the Rings uh, for the first time it's very beautiful and it is you know you're gonna think of okay what's gonna happen next there is so much to write still and so much to discover and I think also um, the whole thing of there's so much you can still write and show and, and, and film. I think that has to be a, a great uh, vision and, and a great inspiration for what still can be written and the stories. And... I'm not going to say I'm going to write it, but it gives you so much more inspiration. And, and I think if you can punch through all this and the all famous tropes of fantasy, I think you have a great story there. Not only with um, uh, how it's written before this all started with Lord of the Rings, but... It's more, you get more background details and background stories. And I think that is very important for a big story like Lord of the Rings. Um, I would like to see more about those characters because they have made and shown us um, what what the, the backstory is. For example, uh, why where Frodo has got his um, bravery off or of course what I just said uh, how did the rings made um, and we only see in this first season how the rings are made by the elves what and this is a spoiler alert guys sorry but uh, it is Sauron who Guide the head Alvin Smith, uh, Lord Celebrimbor. What was really, um, how can I say this? Um, it was really suspicious that um, Sauron, or I really need to say Halbrand. At the at this point, he called Halbrand, but we going to see the start again of Sauron and but you know I really have been confound of some of the characters and I really hope that they going to have the courage to filming more about and writing about more about this uh, the whole thing we see in season one and I hope that they will go on in a way and I know a lot of you don't like it but uh, keep an open mind and I think one way they uh, change the uh, 
appearances of the elves, for example, so much is that I think they wanted to do it in a different way and for maybe to all those things and all those years and decades um how much will they change and it's, it's i like to give this example for example like the discovery klingons they changed the klingons in season one so much that we didn't recognize them from the TOS and the TNG era. Uh, now in the season two and the following seasons, they are coming back at TNG Klingon, so they are more recognizable. Well, I think y you can see that like with the elves as well. So when in their beginning era, they had short hair. And how older they become or how more and further in the future or like three, four thousand years afterwards that they uh, appearing with long hair. And there's one thing I still like to say about the, uh, the Elven King. I didn't like him. It was really like, and he reminds me a little bit of uh, Liam Neeson, but it's an other different actor um you know it's i didn't like him it was like that he was scared or just want to flee and that is not what i know or what we know from the elves but like i said i there are some of the characters I really enjoy and really like and it really give me inspiration to write some fanfictions or like some kind of a poem fanfictions that I always call them. Um, uh, you know, it's I was very impressed what they did with uh, the surroundings and the symbolism in it and uh, the different kind of species. Um... But also, like, uh, when they go to Numerador, uh, it was very beautiful. And it w I was, in one way, expecting those two large statues when you come in in Numerador. And... But this was very different, and, well, I have enjoyed it. So, give it another chance, or give it a chance, and don't write or read or listen to all the reviews people are making, but just go in with no knowledge, just go with the flow, have an open mind, and see what you can find of it or what you or you can enjoy it or not that who knows so this is my uh, uh little bit of review of the new lord of the rings series and um let me check on emdb what the rating is because i'm a little curious about it now Okay, the rating is 6.9, and oh, that is higher than I was expected. Uh, my rating is a little bit higher. I think it will be, for me, it will be between an 8 and an 8.5, because I really enjoyed it. Of course, they can make things better. So, we will see, hopefully, in the next season. Dear listeners, thank you for listening and join me next time for a new episode of Around the Talks. The next episode is about Ghostbusters. You can listen, subscribe and comment to Around the Talks on the YouTube channel or join the Facebook group. I also like to tell you about my other podcast called Ghost Talking Track. Ghost Talking Track is a podcast hosted by two female trackers who will recap every two weeks an episode of Star Trek starting with TNG. 
All the episodes will be recapping chronically following. Ghost Talking Trek is also to listen, follow and subscribe on Anchor, Google Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Music or on your favorite podcast app. We also have a Facebook group and a YouTube channel. Every tenth episode will be a video episode so you guys can see us when we talk about the episode. If you'd like to comment on this episode or talk with us about the Star Trek episode we just recapped, you can reach out on the Facebook group or the YouTube channel. I also have a new YouTube channel called Hashtag Little Dutchie. On this channel, I will react on typical UK things and will explain typical Dutch things. So join, subscribe and like the channel to have some fun and get some more knowledge of my Dutch and Indonesian heritage. I will see you in two weeks.